the key for us has been always from day one, be one with the community and showing them that we're actually building this for developers. This product belongs to them. This product has nothing to hide. And what we don't want to do is go and sell. We shouldn't be convincing anyone to use servos unless they really want to. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. I'm excited to have Emre Baran on the show today. He's one of the leaders of the project Cerbos. Emre, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Emre, how would you describe Cerbos to somebody? There's so many ways of skinning this cat, but ultimately Cerbos is an open source scalable authorization layer for your software. So you can implement roles and permissions very easily. You know, I think a lot of us are familiar with an unauthentication layer. You know, we've used Auth0 or something, and this is the complement that's maybe more deeply part of our application. Is that right? Exactly. If we ever go back to 1960s when our, our fathers were writing software, they were writing every single layer of the software, right? They were writing the data storage layer. They were writing the communication layer. They were writing everything from business to infrastructure. And as time passed by, things started getting decoupled, right? Not today, nobody writes their own database unless you're writing a database software itself. You know, you take one off the shelf and implement it. Similarly, when you look at that software infrastructure stack, things like authentication got decoupled. So nobody really does their own database and password lookup. Everybody uses one of those vendors. When you look at, you know, a database got decoupled, your memcache, the data cache got decoupled. And what we see is a trend in every single layer being decoupled. And ultimately, we are the natural step right after authentication. Authentication deals with who the user is. Are they who they say they are? And most often, it also includes the directory information. And sometimes that can be decoupled on its own into an LDAP and an active directory. And once you know who the user is, authorization is the natural next step where you take that information and tie it into your software who can do what. And Cerbos ultimately makes the implementation of roles and permissions very simple by decoupling the authorization logic outside of your core code into its own centrally distributed component. And I, I can imagine for people who've done dabbling in, in software development that initially all the users maybe of an app are kind of the same, like a, they're just a user. But as you add features, you inevitably have admins maybe and then you get into different assets that are created, might have an owner or, or editors. These are all the things that I would use Cerbos to implement. Absolutely. Software engineers that do not have that many business requirements, the world is very black and white. You actually have an admin user who can do everything, and sometimes you have a read-only user who can only do very limited actions. But as requirements come into software, roles and permissions start becoming more and more complex. Initially, a software engineer very simply implements roles and permissions in a very simple if-then-else block. You do a lookup into a database table, you figure out somebody's role, and then if-then-else, you determine what they can do, they can't. And that's absolutely fine when you're building your MVP. And as you pointed out, as the software starts getting more and more complex, you add more requirements, you add more users, you add more components, suddenly, that if then else block, you start either making it more complex and or you start 
copy pasting that into all the other components. And then once you actually go into a microservice environment, potentially you take that and also translate it into other languages. And that's fine until the next requirement change, business requirements comes in and you have to actually make a change across every single one of those implementations in every single language, which is a challenge. And it becomes bigger a challenge when you have to actually coordinate the deployment of all those changes throughout your entire stack. With servos, we aim to solve all that for once so software engineers don't have to ever deal with that and they can actually very much so focus on the business domain problems that they're trying to solve. Clearly, Emre, you've you've lived this pain. Maybe you can tell us how Cerebos came to be, your role in it, and, and who else kind of brought Cerebos to life. Absolutely. I started Cerebos with my co-founder, Charit, which we have worked together for about eight years in our previous company, where I was co-founder and CTO of Qubit. We had a marketing technology where uh, all the major retailers were our customers, where we did personalization, A-B testing, and merchandising solutions for them, for the e-commerce solutions. And the evolution, as I, I explained it to you, it was very simple. In, in the very beginning, we had customers and all their users could either be admins or read-only. Then they said, this is not enough. We need now editors and publishers and admins and read-only people, which was fine. But that took us a good a month to implement. And then later on, we signed up global giant retailers where they said, oh, look, we have 20,000 users. They can't all have the same four roles. We have you know, departments based on geography. We have roles and everything else based on seniority of the employees. So every single one of these combinations meant they had to have different levels of access. And implementing that was a nightmare and we cut corners. We implemented absolute minimum as possible because also at the time, we did not have a dedicated security engineering team. In order to be able to build this layer and make it versatile enough, we had to cobble together different engineers from different groups, built it, and then once we built it, the group disbanded, they went back to their day jobs, which made maintenance or you know making additional changes to it very hard. That was the most recent experience, and prior to that, I was a product manager for many functions of AdSense at Google. And even when I was a product manager for AdSense, this was AdSense about six years old or so. And at the time, they had very basic role-based or attribute-based access control. They actually heavily relied on employee contracts saying like, hey, don't do that. And it was, again, a challenge of having to go into a system and revamp this access control system once for all. And it was too much of an effort that nobody wanted to tackle. Similarly, I mean, I had two other previous experiences where we had to deal with access control and it's the dealing with it is not the problem. The evolution of it is a problem if you do not have a dedicated engineering team for that infrastructure layer. And on the back of that, um, after Qubit, me and my co-founder, we decided to tackle this challenge because as we look at the security space in software, in the software infrastructure, we look at authentication. That has been decoupled, right? Okta, Auth0, and many other authentication providers do it. When you look at the AAAs, what are they known as historically, right? Um, Authentication, authorization, and accounting or audit. There's also the silent brother in there, which is the directory service. That has been decoupled with LDAP years ago. When you look at logs, 
that has been decoupled. There are a lot of log processing, uh, you know, log storage processing. But authorization is still the uncoupled piece when you actually look at look at that spectrum. And we believe with the recent uh, technology changes, with going to Kubernetes and various other shifts in the technology, now it's time to be able to decouple authorization logic outside of your code, but keep it very close to it. I can imagine some people thinking that maybe it's hard to decouple it. Like your authorization logic is kind of infused throughout the code. There's lots of, as you mentioned, logical statements as you describe it. And it's really more of a library than it is a service. I'm sure, Emre, you face this every day. What is that an accurate assessment? Absolutely. Um, you, you are spot on. It's the hardest among what, what I mentioned, and that's why probably it's the last one. The biggest challenge, when we look at all those other components, the biggest challenge we have is actually of performance. Because authentication, whether you do it in 200 milliseconds, 250 milliseconds, the delay to the user is not that easy to perceive, right? You click on a button, it says logging you in and logged in. And once you're logged in, you can take that token and cache it. It's valid for 30 minutes and you can distribute it and validate it locally anywhere. When you look at the directory, again, you fetch the user's roles and directory information once, you cache it, you use it throughout the session. When you look at the other end of it, when you look at the logs, they're much more of a fire and forget, right? Once you actually, a log is generated, you fire it, you send it somewhere, it's stored, and eventually it can asynchronously get processed and analyzed. But authorization is actually something that needs to be done in every API call. Every time somebody clicks on your UI, every time somebody takes an action, every time there's an interaction, you need to go take and fetch new data or morph data or do some calculation. Prior to doing that, you have to actually check, can this user actually do this? Does this principal actually have permission to do that? Which makes it very tough from a speed perspective because now authorization check is in the blocking path of every request. You can't be slow. You need to do that as quick as possible because then there's perceived delay on every API call, which you know sometimes on the UI may not be per you cannot perceive that in a UI, but if you're processing billion events a day through your data pipeline, suddenly that adds up very quickly. And then second part is it needs to live as close as possible to your code and it needs to be as uniform with your code as possible. You cannot have same logic represented differently in other places where you know there might be actually holes between them. Going back to the origin story here, so, so you set out to solve this problem uh, with, yeah, got the team back together, now you're in a new project. At what point did you decide this would be an open source project? Very, very early on because we were building a product where a default engineer's attitude is, oh, I can build that, right? And they can in a very simple environment. Secondly, we need to show them that this is not just beyond that if-then-else statement. This is actually a very complex task. There are very many dark corners that you need to actually take care of it. And we wanted to show them that, yes, you can do it given enough time and money, but here's a version that actually takes care of everything else and you know, look at it, play with it, and feel comfortable with it. And the second part is this needed to be open source because this is a product that lives at the heart of your network, at the heart of your application. It's service is self-hosted, right? So you actually put this in the heart of your environment. Uh, the very natural question is, 
how secure is this? Hold on a second. I'm putting something in the heart of my network. It's going to process requests. What else is this going to do? So we needed to get over those two hurdles very quickly. And that was when we actually decided to make it open source to give comfort to the developers who might be actually using it. And if I've, you know, there's a, been a couple attempts at this of late. And one of the debates is whether you create your own language to describe these kind of policies. Where did you come out on the need for new language? It's a very valid point. And actually, I very when we were building Servos, our very first hypothesis was Servos has to be very simple to implement by the users. And what that meant was, let's not require all the developers to learn a whole new programming language in order to be able to program their policies. When we built Servos, our very original premise was, let's turn this into a very simple configuration that is stateless, that every time somebody looks at it, it's the same thing, that actually enables 99% of the developers very easily uh, that they can look at documentation and implement it very simply. So we started with a YAML, love it or hate it configuration that can also be represented in JSON. But we found that, uh, you know, we could actually put almost 99% of the requirements into this spec that we uh, that Servos decision points can actually take, compute, and return. And the key the thing in there when we were designing Servos, it was an architectural decision, which was actually every Servos instance is stateless. You can spin it up for one request and throw it away, and everything you need is in the request. Everything uh, to to in order as a data point, and everything you need to make a decision is actually already in the policy that you have written. Got it. So maybe give me a feel for what it's like to implement Cerebos. I'm developing an app in my the language of choice, JavaScript or something, and you give me some kind of SDK where I can say I'm I'm now making a call to a user or a user needs to do something and I need to check with Cerebos first? The process is very simple uh, from a perspective of, first of all, as just like every other product, you need to define your requirements, right? What are the requirements to have? Well, you know, what does a role of a user mean in your application? What does an approver mean? What does an owner mean? You very easily define that in our uh, YAML specification. For every uh, you know advanced case, we actually our YAML configuration also incorporates Google's common expression language, so you can actually do all sorts of computations, and you can very easily try that on our website. On our website, we have a playground where you can actually write, you know, compose your policy. You can mock a bunch of different users and validate your policies. They, and you can even write unit tests against them so that you know that every, every time you make a change, you're not breaking anything. Once you actually come up with your policies, the implementation is you deploy a Cerberus instance in your environment. Uh, it can be as a Kubernetes service. It can be a Kubernetes sidecar. It can be deployed on a VM, as on bare metal, as a binary. We compile a bunch of libraries. You can also implement it as an AWS Lambda function. And what you do is you then connect your instance to your policy, which can be hosted on GitHub. We support all sorts of GitHub actions and CICD GitOps uh, on top of all that. And once Cerberus instance is up and running, which is literally three lines of code, you then have your SDK, and uh, we have SDKs in every major language, and you implement Cerberus uh, checks from your anywhere in your code. The question that you ask at any given time, can this user do this action on this resource? 
you go to the Cerberus API by using the SDK, Cerberus gives you a very simple yes or no answer. So as a developer, then all you do is implement that response. If the, in case of yes, do this, in case of no, do that. And from that moment on, all of that logic is now on the YAML file, whether you do it, whether a product owner does it or somebody else does it, you can actually independently change the policy than your code. Your code can stay the same as long as you're not changing your input data points. Which I, I guess means that if a product manager, if somebody else needs to add a, a policy, a kind of user type, they don't need to ask the engineering team to make a change. They don't need to wait for a software push. Absolutely. And uh, our aim here is, this is actually one of the things that we're working right now, we're releasing very soon, is a control plane that actually enables non-technical users to be able to edit these policies and collaborate with the engineers where engineers don't have to spend any time taking the requirements, translating them into policies and implementing themselves. Once the initial implementation is done using uh, Cerberus Cloud, the UI, you can actually edit policies and deploy them. This seems like it would be quite a productivity benefit for the engineering team. But I guess I'm, I'm also, you, you mentioned security at the beginning. Part of the reason people have gone to like outsourcing their auth-n, I guess, is, is because we're told not to roll your own crypto. And you, you'd feel silly if you had designed your own authentication and then, and then found bugs later on. How much of this is a, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a productivity benefit for, for developers versus a security where people feel like they should, they should just not do their own authorization. It's, it's just bad practice. I mean, that's absolutely what we preach, right? It's, again, what we're trying to say here is if you do not have a team that's dedicated in building this and, uh, and maintaining it and evolving per your requirements, this is one of those things that you shouldn't be implementing. And then if you look at the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities, what was number three that became number one is actually all the vulnerabilities that come through all the roles and permissions. And the reason is very simple. Going back to the very original explanation I had, usually this code is implemented in a bunch of different layers, bunch of different ways. And as something morphs, usually you know, people are people, there's a bug introduced, somebody misses a component, somebody mistranslates a certain requirement, and that's what actually starts opening up holes. And you know, one side benefit of Cerberus is because it becomes that central decision point throughout your stack, central but distributed, a single one, Cerberus gets to see every single request that users make, every single action that users try to do, and it decides whether they're approved or not. And as a side benefit, you get actually a very consistent log throughout your stack, who tried to do what and whether they were approved or not, and why, which policy it matched or you know which policy it didn't match. Another distinction I wanted to run past you is I hear about these authorization patterns for internal apps, production environments, and then I hear about them embedded in a single application do you see a distinction? Uh, like, 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 would Cerberus, would I use Cerberus to, to kind of give my development team authorization within a Kubernetes environment, for example? There are absolutely those tools. You can use Cerberus for that. However, we are very much so focusing all of our efforts right now in the application layer. 
There are some other authorization products that actually deal with service-to-service communication or container-to-container rather than service-to-service. They focus on networking. At Serbos, we very much so focus on the whatever it takes within the application, whether that's user taking an action or you're having actually two microservices talking to each other. And that's why on purpose, you know, when I say our API except a principal action and a resource, that principal can be a, actually represent a user, that principal can represent a microservice. But at the end of the day, all of these things live at the application layer of your software. Another aspect I think is interesting about this market is that if you try and sell someone the database, it's really hard to sell them after they've built the application. So you, you kind of have to find, you know, Mongo had to find people when they're, when they're building the application. I imagine a lot of people get started with their own authorization, as we, as we mentioned, and then they, they hit that pain at scale, and maybe it's easier to, to, to find companies at scale. You have something to offer for existing applications. We tend to see two natural points on that. One of them is exactly as you described. They implement something, they implement an if-then-else statement, they kick the can down the road, and as they're scaling or as they're trying to go more enterprise-ready, they have to revamp this, and that's a great time to consider Serpos. And another one is actually we have a lot of users who are experienced technology teams. That means this is not their first rodeo. They've been actually through that pain in other companies where they had to actually rewrite it twice. Once they were actually going... Potentially, if we're talking startup series A, their MVP turned into a more serious product. They had to address it. And sometimes those companies actually, as they go, go more upper funnel into more enterprise, suddenly your three roles aren't enough. You need to actually reconsider it or potentially give your customers a way to be able to implement multiple roles per customer, right? You know, a lot of enterprise companies, when they use SaaS, they would love to mirror their internal structure into that product in terms of permissions. So those are the main two air times that we see. Either, either they're revamping it or actually experienced founders who've been through the pain of having to rebuild it themselves know the pain and they say, sort it, we're going to actually take this off the shelf and move on and never ever look back. Going back to the open source discussion, maybe you could tell us what's been your experience in, in kind of bringing Cerebos to life and and to what extent has that been community building? Any, any tips for us on how you can grow a project like yours? For us, it was crucial to open source it because we had to gain the trust of developers and showing them how performant uh, Serpos was and how robust it was. And building it in the open has been in a very interesting journey. We had contributions from users, as you expect, at the edge, mostly at the edge around, you know, their use cases and like in having to, you know, connect to different SDKs, connect to different components on their end. Or, you know, we had a great um, enterprise client had specific logging needs and they had to go in and modify, you know, how logging was done or filtering at the logging level, etc. The key for us has been always from day one be one with the community and showing them that we're actually building this for developers. This product belongs to them. This product has nothing to hide and getting them to adopt service as their own authorization layer. What we don't want to do is go and sell, right? So we didn't, we never have to, we, we shouldn't be convincing anyone to use servos unless they really want to. 
uh, you know, working with developers, you can't force that. A developer is going to love the product. They're going to try it. They're going to wait for the use case to come up and implement it. And we've been through all of these different checkpoints throughout our development. And I would say still, we are at the very beginning of our journey. When the Cerberus is not one of those projects where you have 100,000 GitHub stars because everybody can actually try it in any given day and apply it to a use case. You know, how often do you actually change your security? The consideration times for security revamp are limited in a company's lifetime but it's a crucial point to get it right. We've kind of danced around the fact that there are other approaches to this. Um, and you, you've mentioned before that you've, you take a kind of policies configuration style approach. Help folks maybe navigate, you know, if they're choosing between some of these alternatives, where, where Cerebros makes sense for them. Yeah, absolutely. So there are two main alternatives to authorization that have been emerging lately that's you know, working on the same principle of decoupling authorization. One of them is companies that are commercializing Google Zanzibar paper, explaining how they do authorization for Google Documents, YouTube, etc., where you have a product catalog or a catalog of billions of documents and you need to actually manage random access to those. And if you have the, such big catalogs that you can actually externally manage uh, permissions for it, uh, a Zanzibar might be a good fit. However, where we don't see Zanzibar fitting really well is imagine you're building an expense system. And when you're building an expense system, all of your database records are part of your own environment. They're not actually externally hosted. Every invoice line is part of your environment. You don't want to replicate that data and maintain it in two different places in order to figure out the permissions to every invoice line. So that's where we think Cerberus works well. And the other category is uh, all the companies out there that are commercializing open policy agents. And open policy agent is a more closer architecture to Cerberus where you have policy decision points that are uh, deployed within your environment. But open policy agent is also designed for your entire stack. It's more designed for your Kubernetes management, uh, your infrastructure, your network management. And of course, you can shoehorn your application in there. But when we do performance comparisons, Cerberus is about 10 to 17 times faster in decision making, which matters massively. And one last thing, both of these Zanzibar and OPA-based solutions, ultimately their policies are actually written in a policy programming language that you have to learn, you have to figure out what state it's in, you have to actually manage. Cerberus differs from them in terms of a very simple YAML configuration that is stateless. And what does the future hold for the project? The future is ultimately we have worked on the open source solution that we're giving to developers. It's free, it's available, it's Apache 2 license. We invite everybody to try it out and help decouple authorization outside of their core code. And we are also working on Cerberus Cloud offering, which actually makes the deployment and management of all these policies and the logs much easier. I would love to you know, invite everyone to sign up for our upcoming beta at cerberus.dev slash next. And give Cerberus a try. This, this is the feature you talked about earlier, Emre, where, where you know, non-technical users could uh, adjust policy in a control plane and have that impact the application without any changes to the code itself. Absolutely. And beyond that, 
It also helps developers. So the developers do not have to maintain their own CI/CD pipeline. They don't have to manage how to deploy policies. They can all be done in the Cerberus cloud control plane in real time distribution and management of the policies. Awesome. Folks can check that out today. It is not released yet. We are in the beta release process. However, they can all sign up at servos.dev slash next. However, the core service offering is available today. Awesome. Emery, anything we, we didn't cover that you wanted to today? Um, I believe we've covered it all. And ultimately, you know, I would love to invite all the developers to check it out and give us feedback because we are at the very beginning of our journey. We're very much so focusing on bringing valuable time back to developers so they can actually focus on building their product rather than infrastructure. Would love them to check out servos, play around, give us feedback, and help us evangelize the decoupling of authorization. So it's not part of your core code, and it can be managed in a much more secure and a reliable way. Awesome. Thanks for this kind of gift to the to the world and the community in, in Cerebos, both the open source project and in the commercial offering. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.